Well, if we haven't met before, I am Rob Jacobson. Please do not call me Reverend, unless it's in jest, because I'll probably laugh with you. Um, it was a very cool opportunity to be ordained to Word and Sacrament last week. Um, it was... Uh, It was filled with um, some cool meaning and symbolism. I mean, even the, this is called a stole. I didn't really know what one was. I guess you do this. So you wear it like this, and it's got meaning in the shape. It's got meaning in the color. It's got meaning in these colors down here. It's got meaning in the symbols of the word, a dove, bread and cup, and cross. And the whole experience was uh, awfully um, powerful to be standing with a, a room full of people that uh, many of which I had worked with or served with um, or talked with. But uh, I got a few Facebook messages that were like, hey, wait, what does this really mean? Um, and what does it change? I don't really get it, and I love it, because that would have been my comment, too. Uh, and if you want to know more about all that stuff, you can send Julie a message in the office and she'll send you a link to talk about that. Um, because really, the reality is, for all of us, nothing really changes. Uh, I'll do what I've always done. Uh, and what is significant about it is that in this, in this moment, as I was standing there, uh, a group of people that were elders and peers examined me before this point. They'd examined a paper I'd written. They'd examined my uh, beliefs, my education, uh, my call to ministry. And they said, that's enough. They said, we see your call to ministry. We see your beliefs, we see your heart, and it's enough. Now, how many of you have ever heard, you're not blank enough? How many of you have ever thought, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not skinny enough, I'm not Big enough. Jason did a great job last week. Jason talked last week. And he said that he was actually told in ministry, you're not enough. It's one thing to think, because we all get inside our heads, right? You know, I didn't think this would be that emotional for me to say, but we all get inside our heads and have these doubts at least I think I'm not the only one, who sometimes wonders if they're enough, whatever that enough is. But sometimes we actually get told that. And what does that do? And what feeling does that place inside of you? Because here's the, here's the most amazing thing. Do you want to know who is the most surprised at this whole experience? Me. This was not my plan for my life. 
See, I was going to be a structural engineer, and I was going to work with architects, and I was going to build amazing buildings that would continue to stand, and bridges that would be strong enough to bear the weight of all the things that would cross them, and I was going to be respected in my community, and I was going to be sought after by beautiful people, at least until I was married, and then hopefully one after that, and I was probably... No, I was totally competitive. I was probably a little arrogant, and I yet in the midst of that was also pretty insecure because I did not think I was enough. See, I believe the world is filled with people who want to believe and tell someone else the bad news of not enough. They live in this world that things are scarce and and it might not happen or this might not have enough resources so we've got to keep it. We've got to hold it. We can't be generous with our compliments. We can't be generous with our grace. We can't be generous with our theology. We can't be generous in our jobs. And so we go around living in these worlds of not enough. And I started wondering what happens when we fail to tell a different story? What happens when the world of people who continue to tell the bad news of not enough continue to do that and we fail to bring up a different news, a better news, a good news that there is someone who is enough? See, there is a spiritual reality that us in ourselves, we are not enough. By ourselves, we're not. But with Jesus, we are. And if you don't know Jesus today, then keep listening because I do have good news. But I started to wonder what if, as I walked this road and this platform last weekend, what if that one person, when I was 16, that one person didn't say that one thing? That, you know, God loves you. God is personal. God wants to be involved in your life every day. And he's powerful enough to make a difference. Now, I can't find that really Bible verse in scripture. And, and I don't know if that person really knew that much about the Bible or if they were really that cool, if they were really blank enough. But that one comment was a one-hit wonder in my life. See, that's what I believe our response has to be to this idea of the bad news of not enough. And sometimes we think, I might not know enough. I might not be skilled enough. I might not this enough. I might not have enough Bible knowledge. I can't do that. Then the world continues to perpetuate the bad news. That, that we're not enough and there's not enough. And we end up with more broken people. We end up with people who are filled with no hope. And yet the answer is to just become a little bit more of a one-hit wonder. Do not think we have to know everything or do everything or be everything, but just one time, say one thing that is led by God. And the scriptures actually show us how to do this. 
You know, last week we finished up a series called Momentum, and we, Jason talked about the fact that if God chose us, and he did, and we believe that he gave us gifts and talents, when we accept Jesus, we get those from the Spirit, and we do, then we can keep riding this momentum of God in our lives. And then we have these moments and opportunities where we're with people who don't know God, who don't have an understanding of who Jesus is, and we actually can say something, maybe only one thing, and we have no idea in God's economy and in God's story what it's going to do in their life. This person that spoke that one thing to me had no idea. They were simply in God's presence being that one person, saying that one thing that God used. And that's what we're going to talk about in this whole idea of being a one-hit wonder. That's what I mean. Not, not kung fu fighting, not achy-breaky heart, but someone, this is what I think a one-hit wonder is, if you're a note-taker. Someone who seems insignificant in your life by certain points of view, but made a spiritually significant impact in you. Someone who seems insignificant on the one hand, but actually was hugely significant spiritually on the other hand. See, maybe they seemed insignificant because they didn't have enough time for you, or maybe they weren't popular enough in your mind, or, or they weren't cool enough, or they weren't consistent enough, or they weren't enough like you, or they didn't have enough knowledge about the Bible. But in spite of all that, one thing was said. One thing was done. And now you look back at your story and you realize that that made all the difference in the world. That God used that and this and that to transform your life. And what could happen if we become people that would do that? So you can read along in Acts 8. That's where we're going. Acts 8 tells the story of a one-hit wonder person. It's page uh, 890 if you got a Bible from us. And if you'd like one, you can just go back and ask for one. Um, This person is known as Philip. And Philip could easily be a one-hit wonder person. But even more, this story shows us how we can become one-hit wonder people. I'm going to start in verse 26. It says this, Now, an angel of the Lord had said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandakai. This means queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit of the Lord said, Go to that chariot and stay near it. If you know Jesus today, then, and you already believe or you want to believe that he's enough, then this is how we can become one-hit wonder people. Number one, we simply start with the understanding, with the belief of enough that, that God's Spirit in us is enough. You might need to say that to yourself. I have to say that to myself every day. Uh, this isn't about me. 
This isn't about me. It's not about you. But God's spirit is enough for whatever I'm going to face today and whoever I'm going to meet today. God is enough. Now, if you read the opening line, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south down the road, and you start to think, well, that won't work for me because I don't get messages from God. God doesn't speak to ordinary people like me. God doesn't speak to a single mom like me. God doesn't speak to a frustrated dad like me. God doesn't speak to a lonely person like me. God doesn't speak to an indecisive person like me. Then you've already had your crisis of faith. Think about that. Fellow church planter told me his experience when he was looking for a building several months ago. His first prayer was, God, please help us find a building soon. Have it be a good one. And a couple weeks had gone by and they still hadn't found the right one. And so a friend of his he was talking to and he was telling him about how they were praying. He goes, what kind of prayer is that? What? What are you talking about? And he said, well, what kind of faith does it take to pray, God, help us find a good building soon? That's a wimpy prayer. You already had your crisis of faith. I mean, at least pray something like, God, help us find the right building today. Then when it doesn't happen, then you have your crisis of faith. Hmm. It was pretty convicting to him. It's pretty convicting to me. Are you afraid to pray directly and powerfully? And if you are, then you already had your crisis. If you don't think that God would speak to you, then you've already had your crisis of faith. Because what kind of faith does it take to not believe that God's going to work in you? See, faith is trust. It's dependence. It's believing that God will do what he says he'll do. And he wants, the scriptures say, to test our faith, to refine it. Not to kill it, not to shame it, not to guilt it, but to refine it so it can become stronger and greater and and unbreakable. Again, because it's not about us, but it is about him. So we start with enough. Now, in Acts, at the beginning of Acts, Acts 1-8, Jesus is about to leave them. He's celebrated, uh, well, the this Jews went to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival called the Festival of Weeks. It's also called Pentecost. It's to celebrate Moses giving, or God giving the law to Moses. And Jesus, his spirit comes back, and he gives them the spirit on Pentecost. Kind of cool. And in that, he says, but you will receive power. Wait here. Stay in the temple. Stay in Jerusalem. But you will receive power when this happens. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then we read how God's Spirit came and how ordinary men and women received the Spirit prayed prayers, spoke in different languages, had miracles happen. And guess what? They all stayed in Jerusalem. By Acts 6, there's this grumbling that's happening that people aren't getting enough food. Why? Because they're still there. Nobody had done what Jesus said to do. 
keeps you from risking and going across the cubicles, across the classroom, across the yard, across your house? Is it too inconvenient or are you too comfortable or too fearful? Are you living from a place of not enough? Not enough courage, not enough compassion, not enough Christ. That's not to make you feel guilty. I question the same things myself. But here's the good news. God will use anything to help us along. And so persecution sends the people out from Jerusalem. And these aren't spiritual heroes. There are people that are scared. They have real doubts, real needs, and real fears. So they go. Guess the only people who stay are the apostles. Interesting that the ones that had been with Jesus the longest didn't go out first. But instead, we see the second string servers, if I can be a stretch there, We see these people that helped with the food program that start out the list with Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, and four more. They're the ones who go out. Why? Because they're just going home. They weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't Jews. They went back to their hometowns. But they didn't go back quietly. The scripture is very clear that as they went home, they told the story, the good news that Jesus was who he said he was, that the Messiah had come, that a Savior was here, that they don't have to work their way to God, they don't have to be religious enough to God, that they can accept this understanding of Christ, and that's enough. That's good news. They went home with joy. Man, maybe they were a little scared because they were being persecuted, but but that's where Philip comes into the story. And, and for us, what I think it means that, that this idea that we start with God's spirit in me is enough, if we believe that, all we have to do then is listen for God's spirit and look for God opportunities. We listen to God's spirit and we look for God opportunities. Philip listened to God's spirit and said, go south, go down that desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza, to the coast. Here's the interesting thing, though. South is actually southeast, and and that's not where he's from. This wasn't the best logic, and it wasn't very convenient, because he's from the northeast. He's from this place called Caesarea on the coast. And so logic would tell him to go here. Convenience would tell him to go a different route. But the Spirit of God says, go south. It might not be a very populated road. He might not know why, but the Spirit doesn't always give us what's convenient or give us what's the best logic. And he goes. And he sees a God opportunity. And we'll read about that in a second. But for an example, my wife, who didn't know I was going to talk about her, is amazing at listening for God's Spirit and looking for God opportunities. I mean, she comes home with story after story after story about someone she meets or someone she talks to or how God entered this situation. And it's not because she's amazing, even though I think she's amazing. It's because she ends 
every story or begins every story with. You know what I prayed today? I prayed, God, show me opportunities of where you want me to work and how you might want to use me. Every time. And you know how I know? Because when she doesn't tell me a story about it, she probably didn't pray that prayer. Now, she would tell you, I would never say this, but she would tell you that she doesn't have enough Bible knowledge, that she doesn't think she's cool enough, that she doesn't think she has the people persuasion power enough. So she would never do that. And yet, when she does, God's Spirit works in her. And it's enough. So if we start with that idea that if I am trusting Jesus, that God's spirit is enough in me, then we're on our way to becoming a one-hit wonder. One down, two to go. The second one is this idea of connecting and looking. We connect with the person, and then we look for any sign, any sign that the person is seeking true life with God. Any sign. Colossians 4 5 says that we should be wise with how we act towards outsiders. We should make the most of every opportunity. Well, here is a huge outsider when compared to Philip. If we continue the story, we see him, um, we see him meet a man who's different, very other. He's from Ethiopia. Philip's not. Philip's from Samaria. He's uh, a eunuch. They have a different marital status. He's an important official in charge of all the treasury. He works for royalty. They have a very, very different social status. They have a different socioeconomic status. No one rides in chariots. It's probably like even a modern day stretch limousine is not the equivalent. Maybe a private jet. Maybe that would be more equivalent. Um... They have probably different educational levels. Most people couldn't read. They learned by memorizing and hearing. And so he has, he has access to a scroll. I don't know if you saw the Dead Sea Scrolls when they came through St. Paul. They were phenomenal. But they were often fragments. You know, how much of the book of Isaiah did he have? But, but whatever we know, we know that he had a scroll and it was very valuable because of the work of hand scribing that. Plus, any time that a Jewish scribe came to the word Yahweh, they would have to wash their hands and change their clothes and put on something else. So it was a very tedious process. So he had this, and he was reading it out loud. Phenomenal thing, probably different educational levels. And, and, and Philip, all he has is he's full of the Spirit and wisdom. Because in Acts 6, they say, Choose seven men who will be the food, who will run the food program. They're full of the Spirit and they're wise. Don't have anyone tell you that there's a certain list of things you have to have. If you're full of the Spirit and you're wise, that's enough. Now, how does this get practical? Because, because sometimes when we encounter another person, if they're at all other than us, do we think, this is an opportunity for me to talk about how Jesus is enough in my life? 
Or do you think, oh, can I just look for any sign that the other person is different than me? Or any sign that this is not the right time or that I shouldn't say this? We know the, we know the right answer, right? But our human nature tells us we should distance ourselves from others. Imagine you're a teacher. Not hard for some of you, because so many of you are teachers. But you're having one of those rare days or rare semesters when your prep period rides right up next to your lunch. You can actually have more than 22 minutes to eat. And so a colleague has this same kind of lunch set up, and so you get to go out for lunch. You get to spend some extended time together at lunch, and this colleague starts blowing off steam about how insanely crazy their standards are for teachers, but not for students, and how incredibly confusing the deadlines are from the administration, and in your coworker comments about how you never seem to get anxious, and you never seem to get bitter in your work. You know, you even had someone... She says, or he says, you even had someone like stab you in the back, kind of betray you for this promotion, this incentive pay. What's your secret? How do you do it? What would you say? Like all of you wants to probably say, well, Jesus is my secret. My faith in him means everything. That's, That's the key. But you've already heard this friend dis religion of any kind. You've you have this person use very colorful language about Christians. Do you still say it? Or do you think of maybe the reasons why you shouldn't? I don't want to offend them. I don't want to look bad. I mean these are things that go through my mind. Because it's our human nature. Or if I was a little bit more strong, it's our human sin that wants to distance ourselves from anyone that's other than us. See why the church is so amazing, or why it should be so amazing? Because a group of people that really have no family background, or little family background, that are very different, they come together. And they try and treat each other better than family, as Christ's community. The world doesn't have that, and the world doesn't do that. It's a truly amazing thing. And Philip is asked not just to walk next to the chariot. The word that's used is actually the same word in the original language as someone who wants to join an association or to be a part of a club. The next guy that that the scripture talks about is a man named Paul, and Paul tries to join with the disciples, and nobody lets him because they're afraid of him. It's the exact same word associate with that person that's very other than you. Try to find something in common and look for any sign that this person is seeking true life. That's how we become a one-hit wonder. If you trust that God directed the situation, do you trust that he'll actually give you the right words to say or to ask? to point the conversation towards Jesus. Not because you have an agenda for them, but just because Jesus has changed your life. Like I said, Philip could have given about a dozen reasons why they're different. And yet, he simply 
is directed by the Spirit. And, and really, he asks the only question that he probably has in common with him. Do you understand what you're reading? So if we were just going to do a little interpretation, read a little bit between the lines, he would have to start the conversation with, like, hey, I see you're leaving Jerusalem, and you're reading. Yeah, I was up at the festival for the Pentecost, and there was some crazy stuff happening. And you know, I'm reading the, the, this prophet Isaiah, and, and I was really hoping that they would answer my questions about, about what Isaiah says about people like me. But no one would answer my questions. You know, I was going, um, and I have this stressful job, and, and, you know, the queen is, she's very demanding, and et cetera, et cetera. Do you understand what you're reading? The only thing he probably could have said that they had in common. But if you think about this person, this Ethiopian, he's like so many people around us. He appears religious. He's trying to understand the Bible, but he has no idea who Jesus is or what he's done. Just stop and think about your neighbors and your coworkers and some of your friends who appear religious, who are trying to understand spiritual things, they're trying to understand the scriptures, but they really have no idea who Jesus is or what he's done. And we're not better than them if we know. We just have that little extra piece of news. And so Philip, starting in verse 30, Philip ran up by the chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And the passage of scripture he was reading was from Isaiah, and it says this, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearer, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch says to Philip, Please tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and told him the good news of Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? You know, baptism is this idea of initiation. It's that God accepts us, and we're accepting God. We're accepting who Jesus is. And, and when we do that, we're also acknowledging that we're being accepted by the Christian community, which is why we do it publicly. We're going to do it at the end of the summer if you feel God leading you to do that. But he says something interesting. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? I want you to see what this guy is seeing. His, his tagline could be, I've never been enough. I don't have the right marital status. I can never have kids. My skin's too dark. My accent's too off. My beard's too short. 
I'm not from the right tribe or even the right country. Heck, for that matter, I'm not even from the right continent. Even when I went up to temple, they reminded me again that I'm from the wrong line of people. I'm from Noah's bad son, not one of the good ones. And so I could never get into the temple. At least you, Philip, you got to go into that court, that outer court. I mean, sure, you didn't get to go in either. Maybe you do know a little bit about what it means to be outside of in. I've never had enough. I've never known enough. I've never been religious enough. I've never whatever it is. But you know, I'm reading this scroll, and in Isaiah 56, God says that he'll bless the eunuchs who keep the Sabbath holy and who choose to do what God pleases and commit their lives to him. And it says they'll give them within the walls of his house a memorial and a name. You know, I tried to get in. I tried to see that memorial. I tried to find my name and I couldn't get in. I just don't understand. And no one would answer my question. Maybe you have friends who are like, I'm too afraid to talk to a reverend. But they'll talk to you. The last thing to becoming a one-hit wonder is to simply talk and walk. To talk about the news of Jesus and to see if you can help the person walk in to him and into a group of people who are trying to follow him. See, he, Philip simply said, you know, Isaiah is trying to call out this servant, this chosen one, who is not the whole nation of Israel, but is one person, even though he'll be rejected by him. And he's humiliated because he has to bear the weight of the sins, although he's really guilty, and he's going to willingly suffer. And do you know who that was? That was Jesus. You didn't get to meet him. I didn't get to meet him, but we can know him. Because he was raised from the dead, he defeated the grave. He doesn't count our sins against us, and he is enough. He is the one who lets us in. And do you know if you confess that, you confess the things that are holding you back from God, and you believe that Jesus is enough, do you know that God's spirit will come into you? That you don't have to be of a certain place, or have a certain skin color, or have a certain marital status, or have whatever you think is enough? Do you know that that's enough? That's not just the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That's the story for us. It's the story for me. What if, what if someone didn't talk to you? Have you ever thought about where you'd be? I'd be so close to dead even if my life appeared successful, I would be so empty, so alone. God, through Christ, is life. And it's not to say that you might be going through something that's horrid or you might be frustrated with your vocation or you might be frustrated with whatever status you want to put in but God loves you. God reaches out. God sends his very son to 
do what we can't do to unite us with God, to bring us to him. He doesn't want us to be religious. He just wants us to have a relationship. That's why you probably won't ever see me wear this, even though it's very cool, and I'm very honored to have it. Because it's not about the religion. It's about the relationship. What can prevent me from coming in, this person asks. And people are asking us that every day. I hope nothing will stand in their way except Christ. I don't think we're ever going to have a perfect church, and I don't think I'm ever going to be a perfect pastor, but I know that God has called us to stand at the door and to go out and to build churches and bridges to people that are outsiders to come in, that are far to come close, that those who are inside to go out. And when we get it right, we experience God in powerful ways. It says this language of the Spirit whisked Philip away after the baptism, and and the eunuch did not see him again. Now, did he actually fly away? I don't think so. I think the language is that of the prophets and that of the Spirit being very present in a situation. And that's the opportunity that any of us have to experience God in that way. To not be worried about the results because it's not about us, but but to be concerned with God's presence, God's Spirit in the situation. All we have to do is see and take the opportunities. Because who knows, in 15 or 20 years, because you were a one-hit wonder in someone's life, some man or woman could stand up in front of a group of people trying to follow Jesus and say, do you know what? You know what someone said in my life? You know, I can't even remember their name, but here's what they said, and it made all the difference in the world. That's what I'm here to do. After I come back from sabbatical, I will continue to tell that story here, that Jesus is enough, that if you have enough faith in him, which is all it takes, then then that's enough. And that when you receive God's spirit, you will go and tell him everywhere, and we might get it right and we might get it wrong, but let's do it, because we never know. We never know. I'm here today because of a dozen one-hit wonders. Because one person in middle school made sure that that one was enough for me to have a friend when I was completely alone. And one friend was enough for one year before he moved to tell me that God was cool, that his pastor was all right, and that God is real. I never knew that. And in the church I grew up in, we never talked about a life-giving, changing, transforming relationship with the Spirit, but one woman named Vicki said one thing to me that was, I see God working in your life, which I didn't even see. But she just kept saying that one thing month after month for about two years. And I started to realize that God's spirit was, was real. And in high school, I wasn't a very good athlete, but I 
had one coach who believed in me, who let me lead. And in college, I had one guy invite me on one retreat to hear a speaker say one thing, that if Jesus is Lord, then you can't say no to him. Have you put your trust in him? And after that, I had one friend that you've met before named Bart who challenged me with one question. He's only challenged me once, and he said, have you actually asked God about that? And I did, and I ended up at one camp for one summer, and on one night, I sensed God changed my vocation. And in the spring of 2000, I had one high school student have just enough faith to say to her math teacher, you should be a youth pastor at my church. And in the spring of 2005, I had one peer named Dave who said, you know, I see how God could use you to be someone to start churches. And in early 2008, a friend named Mike say, you know, if God called you, then he equips you. He doesn't always equip those. He doesn't always call those that are equipped, but he always equips those who are called, and you're called. And in the spring of 2009, because two men didn't stop asking for me to go on a mission trip, I heard an angel of the Lord like Philip. Say, what are you waiting for? Go build churches so outsiders can come in and insiders can go out. Stop worrying about being enough. Old enough, mature enough, educated enough, but just so ordinary people like you can come that's why we're here. You're enough. God's enough in you. We take it and believe it and do it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you and your word and your truth and your grace and all of these other people would come out. That even those stories would not be about me, but would really be about how gracious you are. Because I believe if each person in this room actually prayed long enough and thought long enough that you would bring to mind all those people that have been one-hit wonders in their life. And God, what would it look like for us to start being one-hit wonders in other people's lives? What would you do? And if we're here and we've never felt like we're enough, God, I pray that today we would say yes to Jesus. Yes to the fact that he's enough. That we would stop trying to meet someone else's performance and someone else's standard. But we would admit that we can't ever get there and that we don't need to. That you're enough. God, we love you. Amen.